You are listening to episode number 174 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today, we're going to be diving into how much time does it really honestly take to raise a year's worth of food? This is an email that I get quite often or I get asked from people because on average, we spend about two hours a week raising our own fruits and vegetables. And for a lot of those fruits and vegetables, it is a year's worth of that particular crop for us for a family of four, which is myself, my husband, my daughter, and my son. Now, my son is just entering his teenage years. He hasn't quite got to that where they have like an empty stomach and two empty legs all at the same time eating, but he's slowly getting that way. And then my daughter is our youngest. I just wanted to give you a little bit of reference on the size of our family and the ages. So when I say for a family of four, you have a little bit of context there. First up, let me welcome you. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am the host of the Pioneering Today podcast. I am the founder and lead teacher of the Pioneering Today Academy and also the author of the book, The Made from Scratch Life and Handmade. And I am so excited to have you here. This is one of my favorite things to talk about is raising your own food because it has so many benefits on so many different levels. It has changed my health, getting back and growing as much of our own food as possible is one of the reasons that I have been able to go off of prescription medications and healed my stomach from stomach ulcers and acid and having cellular change to my esophagus and my upper stomach. I know it has changed my health and hundreds and thousands of people through my books and who are actually inside the Pioneering to the Academy, I've seen it change their health and the projection for their family as well. So I get super excited and kind of geeking out about talking about it. And at the time of this recording, it is springtime. And so we are really gearing up for our summer vegetable garden because summer is the majority of when our harvest and our planting and all of this kind of goes on. But I also want to talk to you realistically about the amount of time that it takes for us. We raise about 60, 50 to 60% of our own fruits and vegetables. And we do raise 100% of our own meat here on our homestead. And we've been doing this for years. I'm a fifth generation homesteader, but my husband and myself have been doing this amount for our family for a number of years while still working day jobs, sometimes multiple jobs. And so I know that it can be done, but I want to break it down for you so that you know realistically the time that's involved and what's involved to do that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm really excited, but I'm also really excited. There's just a whole bunch of excitement going on around here to tell you that I am inviting you to be one of the 10,000 families. That's my goal. I know big, crazy. But my goal is for 10,000 families to be raising a year's worth of one food item at minimum. I'm totally serious here. I don't care if you are living in a tiny, tiny apartment in a suburb with a small yard, or maybe you've got some acreage or you're living on a big old farm. But anybody and everybody can and should be raising at least a year's worth of one food item for their family. So I am making it my mission and I hope that you're going to join me for 10,000 families to say, yes, I'm going to raise a year's worth of one food item this year and put it up so that I have enough to preserve and put up and take my family through an entire year. Now, so for some people, this may be an herb. You might not have a lot of growing space. It might be an herb. 
That's something that's easily dried without even having any equipment that you can preserve. Now, my hope is that once you do that one item and you see that it's truly doable, or maybe you've already been doing that with a few items and you're going to increase, that every year we increase a little bit more and a little bit more so that pretty soon you are raising a year's worth of multiple food items for your family. So I actually have a video for you and a place that you can go and sign up. So you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 10,000. So you'll pop your email in there and you're going to make your pledge. And then I'm going to be sending you resources that help you raise and preserve a year's worth of a food item and growing. And I am so excited because if 10,000 families, think about that, 10,000 families raise a year's worth of their own food. That is the foundation of changing their family's health and the health legacy in their family. It has huge impact. It seems so small, but it really is a big thing because when you do that one thing, it snowballs and moves into other. And just think of 10,000 families, one item that is not being shipped from across the country or maybe even internationally that's sitting on the grocery store shelf and the packaging, just one item, 10,000 families, one item. Imagine the impact that that's going to have globally as well as right there in their own family. So anyways, I'm super excited if you can't tell. Go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 10,000 and join us. Make that pledge and share it. Get your friends and family involved. Have them make the pledge too. Because I know this sounds kind of like a crazy thing to say, but seriously, it could change the world. It really can. Sometimes the simplest of things have the biggest impact. Plus, gearing up next week, the time of this recording, it is actually April Fool's, April 1st, 2019. No, this is none of this is April Fool's, I promise. But coming up in the second week of April, I'm going to be teaching my free online masterclass, Raising a Year's Worth of Food. I only offer it or teach it online a couple of times a year. And I have people waiting. And so many people have went through this class and said, oh my goodness, I learned so much. I'm implementing so much. And then they come back to the next year and share how much they implemented and put into place and what their harvest was and how it changed their gardening and their family, right? Their pantry. So I'm really excited about that. And if you are signed up for the pledge, you're going to be one of my 10,000 families who's raising at least a year's worth of one food item, then you're going to get first invite so that you can make sure and join me for this free online class. If you need to access any of the links, like I said, that link specifically, I've mentioned it uh, probably three times here in the past two minutes, but any podcast episode that you're listening, you can always grab the full written blog post and the links and resources that are mentioned within there by going to melissaknorris.com. You can click on the podcast button. It's right at the top. All of the episodes are listed for you in numerical order. Or for this specific episode, because it is episode number 174, you can just go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 174 to so the number 174 because it's episode number 174. Okay, so let's dive into this. Can you raise the majority of a year's worth of food, vegetables and fruits with two hours of work time per week? Yes and no. <laughs> so the reason that I say that is because whenever you are putting in anything new, you're going to have more of a time investment. 
For example, the past week, I have put in a brand new asparagus bed and a whole new row and set of raspberries. I have exceeded my two hours per week, plus we've had pruning. So in the springtime, I've got lots of pruning going on between the herbs, the fruit trees, and then the fruit bushes, raspberries, blueberries, elderberries specifically. And then I've had all of the pruning of sage, lavender, mint. I'm trying to think of all of the herbs that we have that I've had to actually prune. Rosemary, but your woody type shrubbery herbs, all of those I prune in the springtime. And then I've got the annual, I begin in the springtime in my container plants, I start putting in fertilizer, putting new compost on all of those as they start to come out of their dormancy and going into growing stage. So over the past couple of weeks, I have put in a lot more than two hours per week. But once those tasks are done, especially for your perennial things, I only do that once a year. So for January through probably March. I mean, I'm lucky if I'm doing two hours per month, let alone per week. Now for the annual vegetable garden, that's when you think of your normal summer vegetable garden and those summer crops. So we're going to be thinking tomatoes, cucumbers, summer squash, peppers, all of the things that you normally would see in a big summer vegetable garden. Am I only putting in two hours per week when all of that is in? Yes. On average, it's about two hours of active time per week. Now, that doesn't include the preserving time, right? But that's actually in the garden, weeding, pruning, harvesting, that type of thing. Now, once the harvest comes into the kitchen, that, that's a separate thing. But the actual just harvesting and growing those items, it's just about two hours per week on average. Some weeks, it might be a little bit more. Sometimes it's a little bit less. And we do take full summer vacations, even with the whole vegetable garden on. And we'll go camping on weekends. So there's definitely some room in there and sometimes that it's even less, but it's about two hours. Now, it's going to depend on how much you're putting in and if it's your first year or not on the time that you're going to be spending. And that's a lot of the stuff I'm going to be talking about in our Raising a Year's Worth of Food Masterclass, which I told you if you sign up and you're one of those 10,000 families, you'll definitely get an invite and a chance to attend that free online class. But there's lots of different tips and tricks that I've learned to keep that time at a minimum because I love being out in the garden and growing. But let's face it, we all have a lot of other stuff to do. And I want the time that I'm spending out there to be as enjoyable as possible and not this overwhelming thing like, oh my goodness, I have to spend you know hours per day or a ton of time out here. So I do my best to have it growing without a whole lot of management for me when at all possible. If you are putting in a brand new growing space, like I just said, we just put in a new asparagus bed. I just put in a whole new section. I think it was 11 or 12 plants of raspberries, which was a whole new row. That initial foundation work of putting those in is going to take you more time. But then once that area is established and provided that you do it right from the beginning, meaning you're picking the right spot, you're amending the soil correctly if needed for the plants that are going in and you're planting them correctly so that those plants can get their root base established from the get-go and become really healthy, provided you're doing all that stuff, you will only be doing that once for your perennials. And then your annual vegetable garden, after we have our annual vegetable garden spot in, I'm using the same plot of ground 
year after year after year. So I'm not having to break new ground, put up new fencing. Now maybe you're going to be doing raised beds or container gardening. But once that initial part is in, then you're not going to have to do that year after year after year. So you do have to take that into account. Most of my areas are established, but that's something that you do need to consider. So usually if you're putting in something new, I leave myself a weekend. So we were putting in the asparagus bed. I left myself the weekend. It actually only took probably about two to three hours. And that was from actually breaking up the ground, tilling up the new bed spot because for asparagus, you need to go deep. And you don't want them competing with any grass. And we were just picking an area in the yard. So I had to remove the top layer of sod, all of the grass roots, and then go down nice and deep, amend it with some compost and a little bit of organic natural fertilizer to get everything set up right. And then actually digging in and soaking the crowns and putting them in and all that stuff. So it was about two to three hours to get that in. And that was just for the asparagus. But that bed is in and now it's just going to be yearly maintenance of keeping the weeds out of there. And their new crowns will be doing a little bit of backfilling as they start to grow. But that'll be its spot. And then I'm going to be able to harvest asparagus for years and years and years from just a few hours of work in the beginning. Now, with the annual vegetable garden, of course, there is seed starting components. And I will talk about seed starting. If you didn't know it, I have got a YouTube channel. And there are some things that just lend themselves much better to actual step-by-step video than a podcast. I love podcasts, but there's some things we just need to see. And every Wednesday, I have a new YouTube video that goes up with tutorials. And I have some seed starting as well as some pruning and growing different fruit video tutorials for you. So I will link to that. Or you can just go to youtube.com forward slash Norris or just Muskay Norris in the search bar YouTube. You're going to find me. But that will help you and walk you through that. So we do do seed starting, which really seed starting... It doesn't take a whole lot of hands-on time. The most of what you're doing with seed starting is little as like five or 10 minutes a day, seriously. And the rest is hands-off time. So in the morning, you're turning on the grow light. If you have to use a grow light, you're misting the flowers. When you start hardening off process, you're moving them outside. That's like five minutes. So the most of the stuff is really not hands-on time, but there is the wait time with seed starting. Now, when we go into our annual vegetable garden, The days of planting, when we're kind of putting everything in, either the seedlings that we've hardened off and we're transplanting in and then just direct sowing, which I try to direct sow as much as possible because it's less work on my part. You're not messing with the roots. And for a lot of things, not everything, there's some things I have to seed start because we have this shorter growing season here in the Pacific Northwest. We're fairly north that If I did not seed start it, I could not grow it. I could not plant a tomato seed out by the time we're warm enough and then get a harvest time. It would be much too short to get a year's worth off of our tomatoes if I didn't seed start them and start out with transplants in the ground once we're warm enough, which is usually mid to end May through September. But the direct sowing when we're putting in the whole vegetable garden That is usually about three to four hours. And we usually do that pretty much all in one day, just one fell swoop or on a weekend and break it up depending on how our schedule works. So of course, those weeks and during those times, there's more involved. But once everything is in, like I said, you are going to save yourself so much time if you just do the upfront work. And some of it is you don't know what you don't know, right? And so I've had some trial and error, and there's a lot I have learned over the decades of things to do first, 
especially with tomatoes, so that you're avoiding a lot of those diseases right from the get-go with tomatoes, specifically blight and blossom end rot. Those are two things that are so easily avoided with just a couple of steps when it comes to planting thyme. And so I'll just share them with you here on this podcast, but I highly encourage that you go and sign up for our 10,000 Families Pledge and the Raising a Year's Worth of Food online masterclass, because I'm going to share a lot more with that. And then, of course, within the Pioneering Today Academy, which is our membership, it's not open for enrollment right now, so you can't get in. We only open a couple times a year for new members so that once you're in then and the doors are closed, then we dive in and we have member challenges. And I am walking you through every step that we do here on our homestead and making sure that you're going through and you're implementing and you're getting the support that you need which is why we're not open all the time. Anyways, (laughs) got off on the subject there. But I share with you all of this stuff. But with your tomatoes specifically is when you are planting, planting in the right spot. So if you get a lot of rain or overhead watering, that is one of the biggest thing with blight. So where you're planting, you also want to plant when you're planting practice crop rotation, specifically with things that are in the same family. So tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, and potatoes all share blight. So we want to make sure that if I planted my tomatoes in this spot in the garden last year, that I'm putting it in a different spot. I'm not planting it in the same spot and I'm not planting it where anything in that plant family was, specifically the eggplant or the peppers or the potatoes. We don't want them in the same spot. So crop rotation is first. And then I plant my tomatoes underneath cover so that they don't ever get rain. If you live like I do in the Pacific Northwest, you get a lot of rain or it's really wet. It's almost unavoidable with overhead rain or if you're using an overhead sprinkler to avoid blight. It's a fungal infection. And once your plants have it, they got it. And then it can infect the soil for years to come, which is why I said crop rotation. So I put my tomatoes in an off-grid, basically it's a high tunnel, an off-grid greenhouse. So they are always under plastic and they never have overhead watering via the rain or sprinkler. And that is the only way that I have been able to keep my tomatoes blight-free. So that's going to depend on your climate. Then for the blossom end rot, that's a calcium issue. And it may be there's not enough calcium present in the soil. So when at planting time, there's a few ways you can put crushed up oyster shells in there. A lot of people like to also add magnesium, which is in the form of Epsom salt, because Epsom salt is not really a salt. You can add that in. Depending upon the pH level of your soil, if your soil is too acidic and you need to make it more alkaline, then you can use limestone and that's going to make your soil more alkaline, of course, going to raise the pH level. And then it will also add in calcium, but that's something you only want to do if you know the pH level of your soil and a soil test will also tell you what your calcium level is. So for blossom end rot, it can be that the soil doesn't have enough calcium, which you need to amend then. Or it's a watering issue. So there's calcium in the soil, but it's not getting to the tomato. And usually that has to do with your watering. And most of the time it is not doing deep enough or enough water instead of just doing shallow watering. With tomatoes, it's better to water really deep once or twice a week than it is to water a little bit every day. So a lot of times when you have blossom end rot, it's either a lack of calcium, calcium deficiency in the soil or you are watering incorrectly. And so the roots aren't able to draw up the calcium that is available in the soil. 
Another thing that I like to do that saves quite a bit of time, we grow a pole bean. In fact, my family has been seed saving our own variety of Tar Heel green pole bean for over a hundred years, five, six generations. And I have found that if I can do things at planting time, that saves me time. So for example, when I am putting up the trellis system for the pole beans, because I have to have something to climb on and something that's going to support them, I put it in first. So I go out to the garden. I've done my crop rotation and my companion planting planning out. And then I put in my trellis system first, put that in the ground, and then I plant my beans around the trellis system. The reason I do that is it is easier to put in the trellis system when the garden is not fully planted and you don't have plants going anywhere. I don't have to worry about trampling anything, knocking anything over, breaking off anything. It's just easier. The other reason I do it, and probably the most important reason, is I'm not damaging the roots of the plant I'm trying to get trellis. So if I try to put the trellis system in after the beans are already up and they're, they've got their true leaves and they're starting to send up their vines, which as soon as they send up that tendril, that vine that they need to climb, you need to get the trellis system. This is the same, anything that's a climbing thing. So your peas, your laguine family, pole beans, that type of thing. As soon as you see where they start to send out that vine, which is what's, it's kind of sticky usually a little bit and it'll wrap around things. If that starts to go up and you do not have anything for them to climb on or to support them, they will not grow as fast. So meaning the plant knows there's nothing there. And so it will not grow. If you've got your trellis system in place before it's even planted, as soon as that vine comes out, then it feels its trellis system and it's going to grow a lot faster. Plus, your trellis system is already in place. So as you're putting it in, you're not accidentally damaging because you can't see the roots right beneath the soil. And when we're putting our trellis system in, we're having to put it in close enough to the plant so that it can reach it and climb up it. I put it in before and plant around it. And then I don't have to worry about damaging my root system. I don't have to worry about going out and checking every single day or if it doesn't work out with our schedule, like, oh goodness, they're setting up their vines and I, I don't have the time to get the trellis in right now and waiting, you know, those extra days. It's just a whole lot easier and faster and healthier for the plant. So those are just a few little quick tips there that I have found that can really help. And, and there's a lot more, but those are some of the main ones, especially at your planting time, which at the time of this recording in spring, depending on where you live, you're probably not planting those things yet. I know I'm not, not for at least another month, but it's going to be coming up. And so those are things that you can quickly put into action that are going to help you out. So yes, you actually can raise a good portion of your fruits and vegetables with only two hours of active time averagely per week once those items are already in place and planted and established. So if you're putting on planting day or putting in a new gardening bed or putting in a new thing of fruits, bushes, fruit trees, that type of thing, then it's going to be more than two hours most likely on that week. But the average maintenance care is usually about average of two hours. And that for us, that's a decent sized garden as well. That's a year's worth of our tomato plants, our bean plants, quite a few of our herbs. So it's about 20 tomato plants. And then all of the, the summer annual vegetables that you can think of, your lettuce, cucumbers, butternut squash, acorn squash, spaghetti squash, Brussels sprouts, kale, oh goodness, carrots, beets, radishes, onions, garlic, you know, all of those things. And if you think about it, 
if you were to just go to the grocery store every week, by the time you have your drive time, your parking, you're in line at the grocery store, you're shopping and coming home, you're probably spending more than two hours a week as is going and buying those things from the store. Alrighty, we're moving on to our portion of the podcast, which is our verse of the week. And this week we are reading from Ephesians chapter four, verse one. And this is the amplified translation of the Bible. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk, lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. And I shared this verse with you because we have all been called to something. Everybody has a calling on their life, a gifting I firmly believe in. And oftentimes we think of like the huge things like ministers and missionaries or people who are like celebrity status who are making what we think of as these really huge, big impacts or these big callings or doing these, you know, large, grandiose things. And I fall into that. I think that sometimes too. But truthfully, that's not everybody's calling. Now, that may be some people's calling, but we all have a calling on our life. And oftentimes that calling is sometimes very small things. And I know I say this all the time because it is so true, you guys. It is oftentimes the little simple, small things that have the biggest impact. And it's those daily things, the things that we're doing on a consistent basis. That's what makes up our life. For me, my calling is to share and teach people how to raise and grow their own food, how to put up and preserve their own food, how to cook naturally, how to use natural things. And it may seem funny to call that a calling. Maybe that's your calling too, is to learn those and to teach them to your children and to your friends and to your family. But I honestly believe that that is my calling, which to a lot of people seems like such a small thing, like really teaching somebody how to garden. But I know because I've seen it within my own life and I've seen it with the students and members of the Pioneer Today Academy people that I help online with the website and with this podcast, I have seen the difference, the true difference it has made in their lives and their family's life by growing more of their own food, by eating things that are made from scratch and that they've grown and preserved that's taking them through the year and using more natural things in their home, cleaning products and natural herbal remedies. I've seen the impact on myself and I've seen the impact in their lives. I know it's a big deal. It seems little. I mean, growing a vegetable garden, like anybody can grow a vegetable garden and anybody can, but it's a big deal. It's pretty awesome. And I'm just so honored that you're on this journey and this mission with me. And I hope that you're one of the 10,000 families that is going to pledge to grow a year's worth of their own food. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to get to visit with you in the future.